How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Well, I like you got the bass. A little bass in there. I got a little lower on that one. It was very nice, <laughs> lovely, good. So, hey, we got uh, we got uh, stuff. We got stuff. We got some stuff going we got on a tonight. Lot of stuff going on. We got on. some cool topics. Awesome author. I'm psyched to talk to uh, Kelly. Yeah, this book. Be great. Thriving, thriving with ADHD. That's so this right. should be really interesting. Yeah, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity, and they keep calling it a disorder. Ugh. Yeah. This word disorder just really gets me. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a disorder. You've got a whole group of kids that are ordered and a whole group of kids who are disordered. Mm. You know, what? I mean, of course people are going to have self-esteem issues. If you think, well, I'm in the disordered right. camp. I'm on that side of the line. I'm in that group. Right. Talk about alienation. We were talking about that yeah. last week. How to alienate somebody as quickly as possible. So you, you go over there. You go, there's something wrong with you. You're different. You're disordered. You have a disorder. Yeah. It's like dis... You're not in order. Right. Kind of like pie. Well, but at least pie is <laughs> something that's wonderful. Right. Well, disorder? so is the people... No, I'm saying, again, yeah. it's wording, right? It's all in the wording. So how do we, how do we, how do we change the wording there? What, what would be the appropriate thing to say? I, I call it a condition. Okay. Really, because, you know, people have conditions... You know, but it doesn't sound so pejorative. It doesn't sound as if there's something wrong with it. Yeah. And and what I, I'm delighted to say that more and more of my colleagues are absolutely using the word condition. I was talking some of the other day. I'm gonna. I'm very honored to to be supervising a nurse practitioner in a new program that's opening up. And the people that were talking with me were calling things conditions. I thought that was great instead of a disorder. I mean, remember, we used to use the word invalid yeah, right, for a sick person. Think about that word, invalid. Right. <laughs> you know? You're, you're invalid. invalid. You're sick. You're diseased. Yeah. Anyway, words I think are powerful. These it small Very things, much, but you don't even you know? think about them because they become such so routine in, in the everyday language that you don't even really think about the root meaning of the words it's just this is this is a disorder it's always been a disorder right. and that's what it is yeah another another really simple one is talking to someone right as opposed to talking with someone right. or at them yeah i mean you're talking to someone you're <laughs> talking exactly you're talking at them you're talking with someone you're actually right. interacting so those small small words you know how many kids now in college who don't have attention deficit are using attention deficit medications uh, to try to get a leg up on their studying. To help concentrate. To help concentrate, yeah. to, 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 to stay up late. It's actually a banned, it was, I'm not sure it still is, but it's a banned substance in, the, in Major League Baseball. Oh, sure. There was a, there was a player who was, who was using it and, uh, and got in trouble for it as a performance-enhancing drug. Yeah, well, it's, it's what we call a Schedule II drug. I mean, you need a prescription, but you also, it's, it's highly controlled. And we now have... 
a way uh, electronically to look at all these controlled substances that a patient uh, gets from the pharmacy. Mm. So I can plug in the name, the date of birth, and I can access the list of what they've gotten and when. And we're using this really to cut down on doctor shopping. We're using it to cut down on, on really overprescribing of some medications as well. But let's let's just start talking about ADD. Sure. Right. So let me let me let me back up first because I know you know Kelly's going to come on and, and, and talk a lot as well. But I just want to give some sort of broad overview yep. of this. Um, we think between five and seven percent, maybe more, but certainly at least five percent of the world's population mm -hmm. has attention deficit. And I hope Kelly will corroborate that. Yeah, think think about this. This is a big number. Right. 5%. That's one out of 20 people. Yeah. That's my math, too. Now, think about this from an evolutionary point of view. Okay. Because this is where I think our evolution really, really plays. Mm. Millions of years ago, we were small groups of people. We were becoming these social animals. We were forming these small groups of maybe 20 people in a group. It was very protective to have this many people in a group. Because remember, you could look out for predators. And one of the assumptions from what's called now psychiatric and evolutionary psychiatry is there actually was an advantage to a group to have a scanner, to have a person in the group who was looking all over the place and was kind of hyper and was looking around and scanning around in case it was a predator. You might not want to take that person on the hunt with you, but you certainly wanted them in your group. And so that's why it's very possible that there is a genetic selective advantage to having attention deficit in certain areas, but not in a classroom anymore. Because once you're in a confined setting, instead of this large environment where you have to look out for danger, then that particular adaptation, given the change in the domain of the home or the social domain, given the change in the domain, what was a perfectly reasonable adaptation is now not helping your IM. You know, there's another, another give me another example, not attention deficit, but sickle cell anemia. Yeah. Right? So sickle cell anemia, great protection against malaria, but it's got all sorts of things that go along with it. Really interesting, right? So let's just talk about that for a little bit more, the biological domain of attention deficit. Yeah. When I add a medication for a kid with ADD, yeah. all I'm doing is making a small change in the biological domain which can have a ripple effect through the whole system. Their brains can be a little calmer, they can focus more. Once they're focusing more, they may be doing better at school, and I really believe that a good grade is better than Prozac. Kids who do well in school usually don't come and see someone like me, right. a child psychiatrist, right? Then at home, medicine working for a while, but it's usually wearing off by the time the kid gets home. So what do you do? Well, you can either add a small amount of medicine mm -hmm. or the home domain is a place where why not have a kid be more rambunctious mm. and be hanging around and playing and mm. doing these things. The, the biggest concern is that it influences these kids' self-esteem. Because they're taking the medication or because of how the medication is affecting them? Neither. Because when they're not on medicine and they can't sort of comply to what the expectation is in a social domain of a classroom, they can begin to feel less valuable. It affects their IC domain. 
and they can start to wonder about their own sense of value. Mm -hmm. We have compelling evidence about the use of medication in children compared to the use of drugs and alcohol in teenagers who were not adequately treated for attention deficit. And? And the kids who are treated for attention deficit, even though they're on these stimulant medications mm -hmm. that for some other people are absolutely a drug, mm -hmm. for them, they do fine. They, they don't have a higher incidence of going on to other drugs because their self-esteem is intact. You know? That's so it's, interesting. It's the kids who are not always adequately medicated and treated who begin to have low self-esteem or higher risk so for, for substance use and all sorts of difficulties at home and in the social domain. So there's no risk of a child taking medicine and then having the dependency of medication that then becomes dependency of other medications or self-medicating or abusing other substances because their brain developing while it's developing is becoming in theory addicted to a controlled substance right well i, I i'm not sure i would call it addicted first okay. of all the stimulants are really interesting medicines because they're in and out of your system in hours okay right so you know, Adderall, Ritalin, you know, unless the extended release ones, they, they only last three or four hours. That's why sometimes you need more than one dosage in a day. We have one or two other medicines that are not in that category. One's called Stratera. Sometimes we use Welbutrin. We used to use medicines called tricyclic antidepressants for attention deficit. Um, but, but for the kids who are properly diagnosed and this is really important you know again i'm not i'm not huge on diagnoses mm. a diagnosis is merely a convenient way to describe a cluster of symptoms but if a kid meets these criteria and you then say okay i'm going to try medication it's perfectly reasonable now is attention deficit overdiagnosed absolutely and why is that well i think sometimes it's it's overdiagnosed because what looks like attention deficit is treated as if it's attention deficit. But we certainly have kids who are anxious. We've got kids who are worried, and they're looking around, they're being inattentive because they're going, ooh, that could hurt me, that could hurt me, that could hurt me. Got it. As opposed to, ooh, that's interesting, that's interesting, that's interesting, which is being distracted. We have other kids who look like maybe they have attention deficit, but it's really more of another mood component, something like bipolar. Yeah. Right? Where they have these these grandiose things, these depressing things, they're 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 hyper and sometimes. Now the way I distinguish this is the attention deficit kid will step on your foot and you say, "Hey, you stepped on my foot," and say, "Oh, I did. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to," because they're sort of oblivious. And then they'll step on your foot again. You stepped on my foot again. I did. Oh, I'm so sorry. The bipolar kid will say something like, "Where's your foot? I want to step on it." It's this much more goal directed aggression if they have this aggression. You put a kid like that on a stimulant, it's going to potentially make them much more manic and much worse. So unfortunately, sometimes the only way we can tell is through this sort of trial and error part. Yeah. But I don't want people to walk out of here or stop, you know, listen to the show thinking that if you have a kid who's on medication, it means they are now potentially going to get addicted. That's just not what happens. Okay. You know? I, I'm going to just share one quick story. It's actually one of my short stories I wrote. It's called You're Taking It Wrong. Real quick, young girl comes into my office with her parents. She's about 12, 13 years old. She's 
her grades used to be fantastic, but now the grades are slipping. Started to slip in fifth grade, really started to go down in sixth grade and bad. Not hyper. She's not bouncing off the walls. She's inattentive, slowly sitting in the classroom, just sort of spacing out inattentive and becoming more and more discouraged. Mm -hmm. She goes on some Ritalin. Parents were a little concerned, you know, I mean, have I done something wrong? What's my I am? Have I done something wrong at home? You know, I'm not a good enough parent. Kid goes on Ritalin, does great. I mean, really great. Is, is honor student. And then the grades start slipping again. And she's now about 16. Mm -hmm. She comes into the office. I've been treating her for years. She's really angry and quiet. And she's not saying a word to me. And I, I know this is sort of a strategy. And I'll say, oh, so you've come in here. Your strategy is not to say anything to Dr. Schrand. I say, okay, so you won this round, but what, tell me what's going on. And doesn't say a word to me. I said, okay, one question. I only have one question for you. Mm -hmm. Are you taking medication and she says to me yeah dr. Strand I'm shoving it up my ass yes. I said well no wonder it's not working you're taking it wrong <laughs> you know if you do that right. it's never gonna work you got to right. take it by mouth she started laughing she went back on medicine she did fine so sometimes you know you you, you need to be able to use some humor yeah. and meet kids you know be an adolescent with the kid but for her the reason she stopped is because she felt just like this. Am I dependent on something? Yeah. Is this really me? Am I good enough? What's, what's wrong with me? Can I handle it without? And that's why when I've got a kid or anyone on medicine, I'll say to them, look, if you've got a mountain to climb, are you going to do it in your bare feet? Mm. Because what's going to happen? You're going to hurt your feet. But if you've got a mountain to climb, you need the right equipment. I don't care how much equipment you need, whether it's friends, family, school, sports, religion, music, medicine, therapy, whatever it is. Medicine is just a piece of equipment so you can climb your mountain. Mm. It doesn't define you. It's merely a small change in the biological domain that can have a ripple effect to the whole system. You become more focused at school. Mm -hmm. Your grades improve, your IC improves. Because of that, your IC changes to a place where you feel valued again. Your brain then becomes calm in the biological domain. When you're at home, your parents are proud of you. Mm -hmm. Small change can have a big effect. Kelly Miller, welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. Well, oh, we're so glad, and it's it's such a great book. So, Kelly, tell us a bit about yourself. How did and and how were you inspired? to write this incredible book. So I have two boys. Uh, they're now six and nine. And I knew that when my oldest was about two that he probably had ADHD. It was like a mother's instinct. And then I had my second and he also had ADHD. And so I felt <laughs> like it was just meant to be for, for me to write a book about it since I've, I've had a lot of experience with it. That's wonderful. and. And it's it's a book that's really directed to kids. It's it's so. Uh, quick question: Do your kids? Did your kids uh, do any of these wonderful exercises, or maybe that's too personal to I mean, ask? I would say, you know, I want to sit here and tell you like they're they're amazing and they follow their directions <laughs> perfectly. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'm the best mom out there. No, I mean I, I incorporate <laughs> some of them, and you know, when they're in the mood to do them, yes. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, just like any other kid, you know, they don't want to listen to me 100% of the time. So why don't you describe the book to us and to our, our listeners? Tell us about the book. So, I mean, really my main goal was I think that kids with ADHD typically they're already struggling so much with low self-esteem and having problems learning and picking up things in a different way. So my goal was really to write this in a really positive way to help them look, to help them see there are benefits to having ADHD. And there's a creative process that happens when you have ADHD and you just, it's really about reframing it. And it's not that you have something bad. Your brain just processes differently and it's not bad. And, and in fact, there, there are many benefits to it. Yeah. And that is, that is so I am. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what the I am is about, is you're, you're doing the best you can. Let's just try to wonder about it instead of worry about it. You know? Exactly. And and when when a kid begins to recognize that they are okay, what do you think happens? What happens next to that kid? When they realize that they're not okay? No, that, that, you said? no that they realize that they are. When when you oh, when, when okay. you yeah when you've helped to shift that mentality of, of being somehow broken. Yes. Oh, you see a world of difference. You see a kid who finally feels whole yes. and is like, okay, I'm okay. I'm not. I'm not different. Worse. Um, you know, not not good enough. So you you see that shift. Um, you know, and I've seen it even with my own kids when you kind of spin it or reframe it. They look at things differently. It's a much better outcome. Yeah, and, and it's it's wonderful, though, that, you know, if we think about a kid who is feeling inadequate and who is feeling like they're less than, what that actually is saying about the kid, right, is that they want to be seen a certain way, that, that they care what other people think about them. And for me, that is such an important thing, that, that they, they care. Now, it, it, you, you want to comment? What do you think about that? Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, I think self-esteem plays such a big part in all of this. So yeah, so if they can feel good. I mean, everything else is affected. Um, you know, they're socially, they feel, uh, you know, more confident in the classroom. I think it affects all aspects of their life. Right. And, and are you, are you actually working directly? I mean, you, you've written this book, but, but you also have a practice. What are you, what are you doing with your, what are you doing with your time there, Kelly? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I used to work with, with kids, uh, and now I focus primarily on adults and, and couples. Um, but I think because I, I think, you know, having my own kids, I, I kind of need a little bit of a, of a breather with that. But yes, I have worked with kids with ADHD in the past. And what about adults with ADHD? Yes, I do. I have worked with with adults with ADHD also. Yes, and a lot of them. It's really interesting. A lot of them don't even realize that they either have it or that they they did have it until adulthood. So I find that really fascinating. Yeah, isn't that amazing? It is so true. How many people don't realize it, and yet they're sitting in front of me in my psych office. And they're telling me all these things. I'm, I'm not looking at you like that, Mark. <laughs> Sitting in front of you at the table looking, right now. Is I'm looking that what you're at saying? Mark right now. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. But isn't it amazing to, when they suddenly realize, wow. I, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you have a lot of stories, but I, I had a patient who, um, she was an adult, terrific hairdresser, but couldn't stay focused. Can you imagine being a hairdresser 
and not being able to stay focused long enough to finish someone's hair. Not good. And then she did go on some medicine. Yeah. And it was like, she came in the next time. It was like night and day. It was like unbelievable. And she wound up getting her own business, all sorts of things. Okay, there's nothing wrong with me. I just, my brain processes differently. I think it makes a huge difference. Like when I, when I'll ask questions to my patients about, you know, okay, well, what was it like when you were in school? And they would say, well, I had a really hard time focusing or, um, you know, I just, I, I, I couldn't, I was struggling in, in, in school or I, you know, would fidget with things. And it was like, I think once I kind of put this idea in their head, okay, this, this could be a possibility. I think it was like, oh my God, there wasn't something wrong with me. I actually potentially could have this disorder. There was just a lot of cool stuff out the window to look at. Oh, really? What was yeah, it? Yeah. Look at us talking about ADHD. Yeah. You guys are getting distracted out the window. No, 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 no that's no, I mean. No, no, in school. He was saying that this was, this was his experience in school. Is that, you know, there was... <laughs> Mine. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Did I make that you personal? Reflecting. I didn't yeah. mean to make Well, <laughs> So what I found really interesting was the, the, um, the portion in your book about hyper-focus. You know, yes. it, it kind of, kind of uh, flies in the teeth of what you would think. Uh, ADHD uh, folks would have would be the ability to to actually hyper focus, but it makes sense. Yes. Can you well, can you explain that? I mean, both my kids can sit there and play the iPad for hours on end, and so I hear that a lot from parents of like, oh well, my my kid doesn't have ADHD. They can sit there, you know, right. and and watch TV for hours or play the iPad. And no, I think you can super you can hyper focus with all that stimulation. I mean, that's like. That's a candy for the brain. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And and it's hard to break them away from it. And that's really one of the... But how do you balance that? Like, that, to me, it doesn't really make sense that somebody who can't focus has the ability to hyper-focus. So, I, I mean, think, help yeah, me. Yeah, I mean... For, I think number one, I mean, if if the child is really interested in it, then it it really makes a difference. And I'm curious, Dr. Joe, if you've you've noticed the same thing. I mean, I think, and that's why I kind of help kids or even like parents like really try to help the the kids with their passion. Like if they're not mm. into reading, it's like, okay, well, what what are you interested in, so that we can get you to read? What are you interested in? Yeah. You know. Um, Nate books or you know something like that where it's like okay let, let's gauge their interest because once you grab that then it's much easier mm. um to get them to succeed it's so true it, it's like an immersion thing so you you absolutely find what the kid is interested in and then you just build everything around that because you know everything really leads into everything else you know if your kid is fascinated with dinosaurs then you teach them, you know, give them whatever they need to be immersed in dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And you can always add in things. Okay, so a brontosaurus was this many feet. So if they're that many feet and a stegosaurus was right. this many feet, what's the difference in how big a brontosaurus? You can, right. you can be creative in how you apply different concepts and different areas of learning. Yes. Did you have... 100%. You've got all these wonderful... Um, exercises and strategies you want to tell us about a couple of your favorites in the book i mean i don't mean to put you on the line you know on the spot like that but put me on the spot no no, no. no. you know well there's a reoccurring I, theme i see a reoccurring theme with almost a meditation type of of uh strategy too 
so to disclose, I am a meditator. So okay. yes, I, I fully believe in that. <laughs> but I think it really, I think it really grounds you. I, I think especially uh, with kids with ADHD, that's super helpful. And meditation to kids is really just, just deep breaths. Yeah. Just kind of, you know. And, and I, I love one of the exercises in there is just, you know, putting your feet on the ground mm-hmm. to, to, to ground you, and with then putting like a bag on top. Yeah. yeah. Something about actually like physically being anchored mm-hmm. that can kind of help you feel like you're more in control. You're not kind of floating and distracted and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm big into those. And I ha- I put in there emergency uh, focus cards. Um, and I talk a little about the story about uh, Captain Sully, how he was the pilot uh, that flew and kind of saved all those people over the, the Hudson. Right. And what then? And, and I love that. The, and in the movie they talk about how he had been flying for decades and during this emergency he had to pull out the actual emergency landing procedure because obviously you're so frazzled you can't think and i think that the same thing happens with kids it's like we you know they get so frazzled and they can't quite think and so to have these kind of cards of like okay what can i do to calm down or to stay focused and to have it right then and there because in the moment you can't think rationally. It's you know you're just kind of in it. So that sort of helps to have those reminders right there. It's true. It's a very concrete thing for for kids to be able to have something like that for for all of us. So is have, it is it similar to an anxious feeling when they're in that state, if you will? Carl, what they, do you think? Is it similar to? An- I, I mean, I think it, I think it could be either one. I mean, I think kind of Dr. Joe, you were talking about too that you know anxiety can almost present like ADHD. So mm-hmm. I think it, I think it just depends. Um, yeah, th- I think you can have both anxiety with ADHD or right. just kind of feel distracted and overwhelmed. And and there there are different sort of flavors if you will of ADHD. You know, there's there's the inattentive type we were talking about. There's the hyperactive type. Um, there's you know an impulsive type. The impulsive type is really interesting. There was there was an article uh, on impulsive ADHD, right? And these are kids who will barge into play. They'll cut in line. They'll talk out of turn. They'll, you know, cut into somebody's playing. You know, they may be the kind of kid who'll jump out of a tree, right? Mm-hmm. Just because they're impulsive. Uh-huh. Yeah. The study was, was, I believe, out of Colorado, and they, they looked at women who'd had normal pregnancies and needed oxytocin in the form of pitocin Mm -hmm. to help get the uterus to contract. And pitocin is basically, you know, a synthesized oxytocin. And they looked at these women. The the birthing was normal except for this, right? There There was no problem with the kids afterwards. They just needed pitocin. And statistically... They followed those kids, and the, growing up, statistically, more of those kids actually had impulsive attention deficit really? than kids who did not get Pitocin in the study. Wow. And the, and the study, the hypothesis was, well, it had done something to the blood vessels in the brain and contracted them. But I have a different hypothesis. You want to hear mine? Oh, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. This is my hypothesis. Pitocin is artificial oxytocin. Mm-hmm. So here I think these kids are not impulsive. I think they're overly trusting. I think they just think, well, of course you want to hear what I have to say because you love me. Of course it's okay for me to cut in line because 
you love me. Right. Of course it's okay for me to jump out of a tree because I can trust nothing's going to happen to me. Uh, and, and the reason I say this is because sometimes we pathologize. A lot of times we make somebody sick when they're not. And that's what the whole I am is about. And that's part of why I really wanted Kelly on this show. Yeah. Because what you're saying is that people are awesome. Mm-hmm. That you're awesome. I think it's super important. I want to send a message to the parents that it's really difficult to parent kids with ADHD. Mm. And, um, you know, I want to share kind of a personal story that because I think that it would make me feel good to hear these stories from other parents of kids with ADHD. Yeah. And I, I was at IHOP with my kids and I got kicked out of IHOP because my kids were so loud and screaming. <laughs> who, who gets kicked out of IHOP? Like, it's so, <laughs> um, you know, and so I think they're, you know, as a parent, you, you get so self-conscious when your kid is screaming and other parents are looking at you. And so I think you just, you know, I want to, I guess I really want to make parents feel that it's okay. It's not your fault. You're not doing anything wrong. You're doing the best you can. And I am a huge proponent of humor also. You have to mm. laugh at the situation. You have to take care of yourself because it is, it's very difficult. Um, but but you just, you, you, ha- you have to recognize you're doing the best you can and you're not gonna be able to do it perfectly. So, so but what do you say to those? Because what you're saying right now goes right hand in hand with Dr. Joe's approach of, of the IM and you're doing the best mm-hmm. that you can at, the, at that moment in time. But, but it also goes hand in hand with the IC domain, which is how are these people looking at me? Like right now, as my kids are jumping up and down, knocking everything over, I feel like they are looking at me very judgmentally and that I'm not a good parent and this and that. And it may not be true. They may be sympathizing because they have ADHD kids as well. But what do you say to those parents and how do they, you know, how do they handle those situations? I think there just needs to be a level of acceptance Mm. of, yeah, my, my kids may behave differently and that's okay. And that's not wrong and you know it may look different and and those other parents of of typical kids may not understand and you know that's something that i had to i had to kind of sit with it there are going to be parents who are just not going to understand and they're going to judge my parenting and they're going to think it's me i mean i remember before i had kids going on an airplane and there was a kid in front of me who would not stop screaming and you know i remember thinking like what is wrong with these parents why can't they control their child you know and it was like i didn't have kids yet and so i think there's just that that level of understanding of you know that they probably aren't going to get it and that's okay and that helped me just to kind of to kind of be okay with it with everything yeah i mean it, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent right you know, and it doesn't mean you have a bad kid. Again, right. you know, this is this is the I am. You know, it, you got to think about, you know, maybe having my kid at like a five star restaurant mm. is not really the right social domain for them right now. Or first like, class airplane, right? So, so it's being thoughtful. First class airplane. Yeah, I mean, I and I think yeah, it's also recognizing like, okay, what is going to be the most comfortable for me? Am I going to be the right. most stressed out if I bring them to this environment? Maybe we eat at home most of the time, you know, for a little while. I right. think that helps too. Yeah, right. 
change the environment, you change the response. It's important. And so there are two, two things that, that we try to do towards this time in the Dr. Joe show. The first is recognizing in the I am, there are four domains, your home domain, your social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. And that my definition of sort of the I am is our current maximum potential. We're always doing the best we can at this moment in time with the potential to change. Because the four domains interconnect with each other, small changes can have big effects. You don't need to change everything. Make a small change in any one domain, it can have a ripple effect through the whole system. So what small change, Kelly, are you hoping to make uh, by writing this wonderful book, Thriving with ADHD? So I think first and foremost is is really to get the message out there to kids that you are incredible with who you are. Whether, you know, you you learn differently, process differently, you are incredible with who you are as a person. So that's number one of really just instilling that. I mean, I think we all have these amazing gifts and, you know, whatever kind of issue, if you want to use that term, you have, I mean, there's just going to be benefits and there's going to be challenges. Um, And so really recognizing, okay, there are benefits to having ADHD. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I think so. I think, I think some of the most remarkable kids I've met have had ADHD. And as they begin to channel this energy that they have, it is amazing what they can achieve. I mean, I, hands down, the kids that I have met who have ADHD, I mean, including my own kids, like, they're just the most creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember my older one at four years old, he said to me, Mom, aliens think that we're aliens. <laughs> so it's, you know, so it's just kind of this different way of thinking that is so beautiful. Yeah. And if we can just kind of look at it in a different way and recognize, like, okay, maybe, you know, and it's like, and a lot of times, too, I think there's just a lot of judgment of a kid, you know, moving around and not listening. And, you know, sometimes my kids will shock me. I'm thinking they're not listening to me, but they're listening. And, and, and I've read studies that show that the kids with ADHD who fidget or move around are actually, they, they can learn better than if they just are confined and have to sit there. So it's like they are trying to survive and learn the best they can. So I think it's just reframing the way that traditional teaching, you know, has, has kind of taught us to, to look at things. Well, yeah. I've noticed that they've, they've gotten on board with that, with some of the teachings that we've seen. I've gone to some of the parent-teacher conferences, and you can see, you know, there's some standing desks, and yes. there's some, you know, they're they're more free to move about as opposed to trying to get the kid to, you know, be shackled to his desk or her desk and yeah. be stuck there. One thing I was kind of up, upset about when my kids first started into the elementary school system was how um, little uh, free play they had and that they were trying to pack in uh, too much academics in the in the day and not enough recess for the for the kids to get out and and run and just kind of get some of the energy out. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised at the ability of some teachers' open mindedness to say, you know, if your child has the need to get up and walk around, it's not going to disrupt my class. They're open and allowed to just get up, walk around get back down with it within reason obviously right and and you can you can create something for that kid to do right you know if you need to get up 
can you also just sharpen all the pencils for right. us? Right. Something exactly. like that. Right. Give them an activity. Exactly. And and my one of my sons has ADD, and um, what what his I think it was his third grade teacher figured out was my son loved to make origami, mm-hmm. and. The second grade teacher maybe was like, you know, don't do that. You're getting distracted and right. wouldn't let him even doodle. The other one, other teacher said, make origami. And he made these swans. And as he's making the swan, he's like you're saying, Kelly, he's locked in and focusing on what's going on, but he's right. doing a swan. Right. What that teacher did was every swan that my son made with origami, she then put up on sort of the railing around the room. And by the end of the year... The whole thing was full of origami swans that my son had made. And it was just wonderful. And he felt accepted. Valued. And valued. Mm. That is the most beautiful thing. I love that. Because look at the dichotomy of the two teachers. Right, right. One where she took that as a strength. Right. And probably completely helped his self-esteem. This is like, oh, look what I've created. And I'm part of this classroom. That's it, too. Being part of the classroom. Because... The other kids wanted an origami swan from <laughs> from him, right? Can you make me one too? Not now, because we're doing math, but after. Mm-hmm. So because the way the teacher was modeling the way to integrate this kid, the other kids integrated right. it. It is such an important thing. Kids are watching all the time. And the second part of the I am is you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. And I really want people to hear this because you're going to come across kids who have attention deficit and who seem hyper and who you think may be misbehaving and not obeying. And it couldn't be further from the truth. They're just living their lives. They're, there I am. We're, we're just about out of time. How do, how do we get the book? How do we get in touch? What, what do we do? Sure. Thank you so much again for having me. The book is called Thriving with ADHD, Workbook for Kids. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, My website is kellymillertherapy.com, and it's K-E-L-L-I, millertherapy.com. And yes, I'm totally open. If anybody has any questions, happy to answer anything, or you just want to commiserate with me (laughs) together, I'm, I'm happy to talk at any time. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. I think people have paid a lot of attention to this. So, <laughs> sorry. I, I did. I couldn't resist. And you sat through I, the whole I thing. I was very attentive. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And too. Folks, we got to go. We'll be back next week. Kelly Miller, thanks so much and best of luck with the book. Thank thanks, you so Kelly. Bye. Bye, guys. Love is an art form, a heart that's red and sometimes blue.